This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and wellbeing of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Boonurong Country, I'm your host Jacinta Hennicom, joined this week by Cal Hawke. Cal, welcome to the studio. Pleasure to be back on. So in the show, we'll be talking about the recent report that came out of the coroner's court here in Victoria, but I think it's a really important topic for folks to talk about more broadly, and that's around LGBTIQ plus suicides. Um, so kind of a, I guess, content warning for everyone listening out there. We will be t- tackling some pretty heavy content in this show. Um, so, you know, be advised. And if you do find any of it distressing, be sure to head to the Joy website, joy.org.au slash support. And they actually have a list of all of the support um, services that are out there, um, including like QLife, but also some really tailored ones that may better uh, suit your needs. So check that out at joy.org.au slash support. But joining us on the show to talk about this report from the coroner's court is going to be the CEO of Switchboard, Joe Ball, and Victoria's Commissioner for LGBTIQ Communities, Todd Fernando. And so we'll be diving into that report understanding how it came to be, why it's important, and I guess get a better understanding around how that data about our communities is collected in a really difficult and complex time. So that is coming up on this episode of Well, Well, Well. Keen to keep the conversation going about health and well-being? For more episodes of Well, 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 head to the Joy website, joy.org.au forward slash well, well, well. So last week, the Coroner's Court of Victoria has released a new report containing suicide data for LGBTIQ plus communities in Victoria from 2012 to 2021 to better understand suicide in these groups. So for listeners out there, um, we will be talking about the subject of suicide. So if you find that distressing, we'll also link to uh, ways that you can seek support. But you can also head to the JOY website, joy.org.au slash support for a list of various resources that you can reach out to if you find any of the content in the segment distressing. Now, joining us on the show this week to talk about this report is the commissioner himself, Todd Fernando, as well as the CEO of Switchboard, Joe Ball. Thank you so much for joining us here on Well, Well, Well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us, indeed. Well, first of all, could you let us know, how did this report from the coroner's court come about? I guess, Todd, would you like to take that one first? Yeah, look, I mean, I want to stress that that while Joe and I sit in the hot seat of being able to help deliver on this report, it is decades in the making. You know, communities have been signalling the need for visibility for a very, very long time. And we just happen to be in the positions that we're in when the report has come out. Mm. That said, uh, both Joe and I have had lengthy discussions um, in close consultation with the Victorian Coroner's Court around what type of data exists. So it's been, um, you know, quite a very long discussion with the coroner's court that certainly has started since I've, I was in the role. Um, and But those discussions are a continuation of others in, in similar positions. And so about 10 months ago, I 
got sent the first report, the first draft of a report, and since then had been working closely with the coroner um, and their team, as well as with community organisations like Rainbow Door Switchboard to really understand how to safely alert the community to not just the numbers, but the narratives behind why LGBTIQ plus people die by suicide. I guess, Joe, I wanted to throw that to you as well, because, I mean, Switchboard, it tackles this topic a lot. And I guess for folks out there that are kind of do hear a report like this and find that maybe a little bit confronting, I mean, what is the importance about talking about suicide within our communities? Yeah, I I think that, you know, I don't recommend that um, everyone goes and looks at the report. I think that it's not necessary for everyone to consume that data. I think as LGBTIQA plus people, we do all have a lived experience of knowing how high suicide is in our community, partly because we may have thoughts of suicide ourselves, um, but certainly most of us know someone who's been impacted by suicide, even people who have died by suicide. So I don't recommend that you know, you don't need to go and look at the report. But the report is really important because when we do suicide prevention activities, they do need to be evidence-based um, and they do need to be perform- They need to be informed by two things. And one is the lived experience. So we need to hear from people who have um, accessed mental health services, what worked, what didn't work, what they need. But we do actually need data to represent it. And, one, and, and partly as LGBTIQA plus people, we need that data because we're often told that we don't need separate and independent strategies for our community. We're often told that what everybody has can be just as good for our community. But what this data does is it shows us actually we have disproportionate effects of suicide. It's proven. It's not just what we're saying to each other from what we know about the communities we live in, but it's actually proving that we have that. Um, But also it's creating an index that hopefully we can just drive down. And so we need to show that over time. Now, one of the stats that did stand out was that I think it was 56 plus percent of the suicides reported were amongst people under the age of around 34, um, compared to, I guess, about 32 percent amongst Victorians more broadly. What What are your both of your thoughts, I guess, with regard to reflections on that stat? And what does that sort of tell us, I guess, with regard to younger people? I know that we don't, you know, 34, we don't necessarily consider particularly young, um, but it's still on the younger half compared to, I guess, the mainstream. Look, it's at this point where in the discussions with the coroner that we really wanted to have some caution around interpreting the data in that way. So one of the limitations of being able to put out a first-time report in this way is is that there is an acknowledgement that the data systems that collect the visibility of where we are in, in the system is really limited. And so one of the things that's really important, I guess, for people to understand is uh, for older populations who might not be out whose senior next of kin or family of origins don't identify them as being LGBTQ plus in the moment of being witnesses in front of the court, which probably gives some weight to why uh, the categories, the age categories of those who are older has a, has a lower number. It doesn't mean that younger people are 
dying by suicide more often, what it means is that the systems that currently collect the data um, aren't as uh, perfect as we'd like them to be. But this is one of the outcomes of having a report that's so visible is now we can go and understand, well, where are the limitations in data collections and how can we then reinforce um, the strategies, that, as Joe said, that work for us in our communities to really signal a more um, in-depth view of, of what's happening um, when it comes to death by suicide in our communities. But Joe, what, what's your indication on that? Yeah, I think it's worth just saying outright that it's an undercount. And so what Todd and I have been talking to people about is that it's a first step. And this is really important, but we absolutely know this numerical number is an undercount. Um, so we need to think that, unfortunately, the numbers are far higher um, than what's recorded. And, and we suspect that it's inaccurate for certain populations. And one would absolutely, we believe, is older people. And we believe one of the other undercounts would be around where people are culturally and linguistically diverse. Um, now, that's just looking at how like shame and stigma plays out in both those populations, older people and culturally and linguistically diverse people, uh, and how certain communities and um, might, may or may not want that, you know, data told to the coroner court or may not tell that information to the coroner court so we are dealing with an undercount and it is it's always been something we've been worried about with the release of the data but we need to start somewhere and that's what this is um and i think you know at switchboard we run an older people's service and one of the consequences of loneliness and isolation in older age is actually high rates of suicide so i think we don't have any reason to believe actually that the data would be less like how it's representing what Todd explained, really. We, we don't have any reason to believe that younger people are taking their lives at a higher rate. And I think um, maybe listeners can relate to this if people are old enough to be thinking about when AIDS was heavily, heavily stigmatized. It's absolutely still stigmatized. But when people died of AIDS in the early days, often uh, death certificates said things like they died of cancer or they made up um, diagnoses or they didn't list it and it's sort of it's similar in that way of that stigma and people listing it incorrectly and so like our AIDS activists before us need to sort of fight for that correct data collection in order that we could have the responses we now have today we need to do that today around suicide. Mm. I also wanted to ask you you've touched on it being underreported and that's a I think a really important point to kind of point out is that we might see that there is more. Um, one of the other points that the report talks about is that the complexity of issues comes with some potential risks, I guess, with regard to kind of evaluate these proceedings and outing people. And I guess, how do we strike that balance between the risk that that data collection poses maybe to some people or, or, or the complexities that come in, as you said, the intersection with some cultures? Look, I think uh, that's a really important question for community to understand. And, and part of this speaks to the broader ways in which coroners courts investigate deaths in all of its complexities. And um, an example I think that is really useful to understand is some of the forms in which Victoria Police fill out that then 
sparks an investigation by the state coroner. So an example is a form called Form 83, which is a form that a, a police officer will fill out in Victoria that lists circumstances around death, um, where it was, and, and prepares the body for the coroner. And so on that form, for example, lists things like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander status or sex status. And so your sex characteristic is counted in, you know, basically, if I can be as frank, in, in what your body is presenting at that time. And so there are really limited ways in which the officer in that moment can accurately record somebody's gender identity um, or sexuality because they're basing it on the scenario and, and the situation that's there. The other is the grieving parent or senior next of kin in that moment um, who obviously is, is started their own grieving process but then to have to ask other types of questions might be inappropriate in that moment. Um, so there is a limitation with that form as just one part example, but we'll work with Victoria Police to understand how can we broaden some of those questions out um, to give the best opportunity for the coroner to, to go into those investigations. It also means that we've got to think about the ways in which we as LGBTIQ plus people are accurately recorded in other areas that the coroner's court can um, look to. So whether that's our local GP, whether that's with the hospital services, whether that we've recorded our gender identity or sexuality in other areas that um, the coroner's court can look to as a legitimising data set. Um, and so that presents challenges because I know that communities often feel like they don't want to have to share their gender identity or sexuality in contexts where it's not relevant. And that's very important because, you know, in some certain spaces or settings, your gender identity or sexuality should be private. You know, and we, we all have the right for mm. that to be private. But at the same time, we've got to recognise the limitations of systems where our privacy um, is afforded, but also uh, accurately seen or reflected by things like the state coroner. Mm. Joe, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's important to recognise um, the data management that the coroner has brought to bear on this data. And I feel quite, com I do feel confident in it in the sense that it's macro data just for listeners who don't want to listen to it but don't want to look at the data but want to hear about it is that the data is done in such a way that it is de-identified so people's confidentiality is maintained and confidentiality in data management doesn't just mean not listing people's names but it's about thinking about if people are identifiable within community so for example you wouldn't do micro data that would say Okay, in Wangaratta, a gay Aboriginal man who's 27 years old who has an intersex variation, right? Because then that person, people could probably, that's called microdata. And if you release that, people will be like, I kind of know who that person, I could have a guess who that person is because it's drilled down. So the data is quite macro. It's large. It's a large number. It's, it's, it's dealt with in that way. But I think there's opportunities within that to still bring an intersectional lens, but the data may be de-identified and de-aggregated. So that's mm. important. And, and, and that's a really interesting point that Joe makes because 
there was a comment um, on one of the social media posts about about this report where a, a community member asked about the specifics around regions or townships in mm. which some of these deaths might have occurred. And one of the things that we're providing caution on is being able to locate where it is. Yeah, totally. Because what that sends a message is, oh, no, our country town doesn't have any yeah. of that, so we don't need to worry. Um, so what we need to do is build these, yes, yeah. localised strategies, but often a, a statewide or a national mm. plan so that we're all on the same page around this and that everybody has um, has an understanding that you've got to come to the table and mm. work with us on building these strategies yeah, yeah. and you can't yeah. just divorce yourself and say, oh, no, it doesn't happen in our area because the data says that it doesn't happen. Mm. Um, we don't want to go down that path. So I recognise and understand why some people would want to know locations and geographies, totally. but the other side of it is we need to protect everybody in, it, in mm. every community so we can't drill down to mm. those specifics. Well, we are going to continue mm. the conversation with Commissioner Todd Fernando and CEO of Switchboard Joe Ball. You're listening to Well well, well, here on Joy. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You are listening to Well, 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 and we are diving into the coroner's report on LGBTIQ suicides that came out last week. Joining us on the show this week are CEO of Switchboard Joe Ball and the commissioner, Todd Fernando. Before we get into this for listeners, we are talking about LGBTIQ suicide. And if you do find that subject matter distressing, you might not want to have a listen to this segment on the show. And also, too, if during the segment you find any content um, you would like to seek support, head to the JOY website, joy.org.au slash support, where you can find a list of services and you can choose one that uh, is most appropriate for your needs. Now, getting back into the report that we were just diving into here, um, we were talking about the ways that the court processes or records data around LGBTIQ people. And you started to tackle this, I guess, does it need to start at a different point? Um, you've talked about, you know, the police uh, get, you know, Vic Pull being involved in when they record, I guess, uh, an initial report of death that they provide, um, or even, as you said, in other documents. So I think oftentimes people you know, hear about LGBTIQ communities talking about the right to make sure that their identification, you know, accurately reflects how they identify themselves or their, their gender identity. And it's interesting because we wouldn't, I guess, when we talk about that, we talk about that in isolation and don't think about implications like issues here. I've thrown a lot, of, a lot at you right there. But, you know, where should we be thinking about how can we kind of collect this data or have this data available at a different point? I think it's really important to bring a data sovereignty lens to this conversation. And I think we can actually take a lot of inspiration from First Nations data collection that have done a lot of thinking around this. And the biggest overlay around data sovereignty is that as communities, we need to have a say in how that data is dealt with. And that's what's happened with this coroner's court. So how it's collected, but then also how it's released, like getting that back so that would be setting up advisory groups, doing consultations, and that stuff is really important because, of course, data in some ways is a neutral. It can be. I mean, it's always very political how we collect data, but how it's used can be very complicated. So, for example, we do see arguments from uh, right-wing thinkers, if we can call um, right-wing thinker together, but um, <laughs> two words together, is um, like Mark Latham, for example, likes to say, he's a New South Wales One Nation politician, he likes to say, well, look at the high rates of suicide in our community, 
there's something wrong with us as LGBTIQA plus people. So the data can be turned back on us. Um, and again, that's something we've learned from HIV is that mm-hmm. kind of like when you can be blamed when you have a problem in your community. And, and, and so you've got to watch, you've got to have control over your data and how the story is told around your data. And I'm pleased to say in Victoria that with the Victorian government out of the out of the commissioner's office, there has been that ability to put a narrative around the data, and that's really important, which includes the narrative of, you know, this is not a consequence of who we are as LGBTIQA plus people. It's actually the way that we've been treated. It's because of discrimination that there is high rates. So we, what I'm talking about here is data sovereignty and the and an ability to, for us to control the data. So it's not weaponized against us and used against us in ways that could be like, look at the extremely high rates of transgender suicides, which is, um, you know, is is high, and say, oh, therefore we shouldn't allow. Um, people to transition and people do make those arguments so we need to have be control have control over the narrative i mean that's exactly what we saw in hiv like that people were like oh therefore you know we shouldn't why do we decriminalize homosexuality because now look they've got this disease like that people said those kind of things and that's why we need to make sure we're writing ourselves into the story and around data um, and that's what's and, and that lesson Yes, it's HIV, but I'd say the stronger lesson and the example we need to take today is from Aboriginal um, communities because they're doing such great work around this in Australia nationally. And, I mean, on that, I mean, uh, Joe makes the incredible point, you know, we don't wake up in the cot hating ourselves as LGBTIQ plus people and, and we don't die by suicide because we are LGBTIQ plus, but because we have to live in a world that still offers limited visibility, limited normalisation and ways in which for us to connect and, and mm. celebrate a pride, which is why, you know, these, why pride celebrations are so important. It offers another lens for us to get to together as a group of people and acknowledge you know our cultures and our histories and the things that connect us and it's those types of things those data sets that um and pieces of information regarding somebody's lgbtq plus status that may not be included in the evidence Mm. That may not be included mm. because of a range of reasons that include witnesses being unaware of the deceased's mm. LGBTQ plus status, witnesses seeking to protect the privacy of, of, of the deceased or information on a person's LGBTQ plus status being omitted from evidence in the belief that it's not relevant to the investigation. Yeah, right. And so incomplete or inaccurate data only offers limited insight into suicide amongst LGBTQ plus communities and could potentially be unhelpful or damaging to prevent mm. the efforts that people like Joe and, and organisations like Switchboard are trying to do, which governments are slowly coming to the forefront in recognising that this is the most important strategies for us mm. moving forward to help um, drive these numbers down. Have we heard anything from people who have been bereaved by suicide of an LGBTQ plus person about this report and what impact has it had on them? What does this report mean to those people? I think it's complicated. I mean, I'm bereaved by you know, people in that report, there's a data point in there that I know who that person is. Um, And I think there's many data points that people would look at and go, that was that person, that was that person. And I think it's really complicated. But I know as someone who's personally bereaved by suicide is the thought that you are always left with is how do we stop this from happening? That's what you're left with. Um, And 
why did it happen and what could have been done and what can we do better and how do we stop it? And I am not alone as a bereaved person that shares that that's how people feel. Often people feel a deep sense of purpose when they're bereaved to turn things around for the communities, for there not to be another person. So I think that's definitely what we're already hearing. Uh, it's how I feel as a bereaved person that it is complicated and it's sad, um, but also that something different, positive could come, could come out of that person's death because the senselessness of losing someone to suicide, the what ifs, the what could I have done, you know, can haunt you. And I think this kind of action provides a lot of healing for people and then to say the person I've lost is not forgotten. What they went through is not forgotten. And how do we make it, you know, how do we turn it around? How do we stop it for the next person? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like Joe, I'm, I'm not sure if the listeners know or it's widely known. My, my brother died by suicide only four years ago. It's not something that I often talk about, but it's something that is very close to, to me. And, and so it's, it's the way I think that we've done as a community in, in safeguarding this information and bringing it to the forefront has been really, really useful. And, and if there is a takeaway from any of this is that us in leadership positions within the LGBTQ plus community, we are also affected by this. Mm. And so we want mm. the strategies that are coming from this to be as safe and relevant for our mm. communities. And, you know, I will just mm. add my, you know, my, mm. my love of Joe <laughs> because, you know, we've held it together mm. and, and been a support for each other throughout mm. the last 10 months around figuring out what what we're going to do with this mm. and, and particularly knowing that we've both been bereaved by mm. suicide it's been a useful mm. useful tool for to, to be buddies in in and buddies in arms you know leading the charge mm. for this work but knowing that um we mm. are thinking seriously about you know these these deaths which are very preventable Mm. You know, and and that's that's the thing that people need to remember is almost every death by suicide is preventable. Mm. And it means that, you know, nobody's failing us. Nobody's it just we've got to get our shit together Mm. on being able to Mm. to lead and and Mm. do these things for our communities in the same way that First Nations communities are thinking Mm. about data data sovereignty. It's time for us to start thinking about that as a community. Um, And so I know that Joe and I will do everything that we can do to help support communities through this time, um, but also support communities to figure out what the local strategies are for them and how we can help assist on that. Thank you both for sharing that pers- really personal element um, to this, because I think it is. It's a, it's, a hum- it's a conversation that we really do need to get back to the humanity behind it. Um, one of the things that we were talking about is around the complexities of that data and the data sovereignty. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask both of you as well is that the report talks about it as LGBTIQ. Um, But of course, we know that there are variations with any health issue, any challenge. A lot of the stuff that we talk on the show can vary in that spectrum between, uh, you know, queer women versus, you know, Mm -hmm. same-sex attracted men versus transgender diverse people, um, et cetera. Is there, I guess, you know, do you think that we need to start recording and reporting that data separately or will that be create too many, you know, we were very diverse communities and various Mm. um, identities. And that sometimes I think when it comes to data collection creates uh, a hurdle that some folks kind of go too hard pile. So how do we, I guess, how do we tackle that? 
you know, whoever has the answer to that question will make millions. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and it's it's these are because of the work that you know. If I think about a Victorian context, you know, because of the work of the Victorian government in pivoting toward understanding local LGBTQ plus issues and needs, is now we're starting to finally ask those very important questions. You know, and I often think of, of other states or other territories across the world mm. who don't have a commissioner, who don't have a government that's willing to listen, who have to think about things in a variety of other ways, who don't have the opportunity to ask the question that you just asked. And so I think it's really important to remind people that, you know, we've been on a journey of, of combining this acronym, this rainbow community for so long, because each of us connect to it in a different way. And I think we've got to remember that, that as a, as you know, governments will fund things in its in a collective mm. process and it's not to say that we haven't funded um intersectional groups that are a part of that rainbow umbrella before or in the future you know we and we will in the future mm. it just means for a whole of government response or a whole of community mm. response we must look at it together um and and you know the localized strategies on the ground that will help prevent some of these deaths in the future might be the out and about program that mm. switchboard runs for older people it might be the um the the community event that Corey pride victoria puts on for aboriginal people it might be the the hungry event that pacific x will put on for the pacific island lgbtq plus you know group or the thorn harbor and gay men group or that etc etc you know we could go down the line mm. so it's those little individual parts of the overarching strategy that will work in its entirety but i think signaling it out in disaggregating the data in that way might present some challenges mm. Mm. did you have anything to add yeah i think that i think that's right and i think there is some really clear evidence we know about why there are high rates of suicide in our community or rather what are the prevention tactic how we can prevent suicides in our community and I think one thing that people always share that have um, ended their life as an LGBTI person because, you know, um, unless there's another presenting issue, which of course we have diverse lives and there can be childhood trauma and things, but if it's driven by and connected to their identity, the thing is shame. And those people all share that. And so I think we need strategies that look at those drivers that we know about. And one is shame, um, the, the shame of the identity. I mean, one of the most dangerous times um, in a person's life, no matter what their age is, for poor mental health and suicide risk is at the moment of coming out. Um, evidence shows that, that if you come out and your first experience is uh, hostility, rejection, um, violence then that is a suicide risk for you. Um, so I think we know, I think these things are probably the big things to look at now. And that's what you see in the coroner thing is the data. But then there's always stories around each person's life and we need to continue to research that and look at that and get a picture. But we know that. And the other really preventable, like, I guess, uh, safety that people can have and this is an ongoing project for us all but is that there is evidence that shows that when you are rejected by your family it is a suicide driver and so people need to be supported to in, in parents are a big part of this picture 
And if parents can't be supportive, then um, the person needs to be surrounded by other family or chosen family that do support them. So I think what I'm trying to say is, yes, of course, people are men, women, non-binary, Zs are like people have all these different identities. They are gay, lesbian, they're bisexual, they're intersex, they're they're asexual. All these identities are really important. But I think around suicide, and we must always look at the topic that we're dealing with, there's actually bigger thematic things that need to be focused on now rather than that drilling down into the alphabet. That's how I see it. But that's that's my opinion. There you go. Well, that is all the time that we have, but thank you so much for letting us get into this topic. And as you both said before, I guess this is a sort of a starting point. Um, look for anyone listening. If you did find any of this content distressing, be sure to head to the Joy website, joy.org.au slash support to find a support solution that works best for you. Um, also, a big thank you to the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQ plus communities, Todd Fernando, and CEO of Switchboard, Joe Ball, for joining us here on Well, Well, Well. Well, thank, thank you so much for having a hard conversation. And thanks for being my companion, Todd, through this conversation. No worries. No worries. Thank you so much. You are listening to Well, Well, Well here on Joy. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being, presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. Well, that has been another episode of Well, Well, Well. Jacinta, thank you so much for joining us as we traverse a range of health issues impacting our communities. Thank you very much for joining me this episode, Cal. What are some ways that people can connect with us and stay supported? Oh, absolutely. Great point. Um, if anything that we talked about today impacted you in a negative way, head up over to the Joy website, joy.org.au slash support, where you can find a range of services for our LGBTI communities, including Q Life and you know other services that are tailored to different groups um, in the mix. Also on the Joy website, you can get links to information from tonight's show as well as the podcast uh, joy.org.au/wellwellwell, where you can listen to this episode and previous episodes of Well Well Well. And if there is a topic you'd like us to cover, get in touch. Shoot us an email at wellwellwell at joy.org.au. Thanks again for another week of Well Well Well, Jacinta. Uh, look after yourself and those around you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.